Hey guys, welcome to episode 141 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. We hope you're enjoying the beginning of the holiday season. And I was saving this case, especially for our second release in November, because it surrounds Thanksgiving. A Thanksgiving crime. But actually, we were supposed to release this episode last week, and it would have been perfect because it was right before Thanksgiving, but unfortunately, John and I got COVID for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was a wonderful gift that continues to keep on giving. (laughs) Yeah, we are still not 100%. No. I'm completely delusional, so better with us. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I have to tell you, if anything, the worst thing, I don't know about you, but the worst thing for me is the, the mental fog. So it's like it's like I can't even think properly. So that's fun. It's my lingering cough. Yeah, it's ter- it's killing me. But unfortunately, we didn't get to go see our family in North Carolina. We were kind of bummed out. Yeah, it was just us. It was it was nice to be together, but sad to not see family. So I guess this is us celebrating Thanksgiving uh, with in a all very of you? morbid yeah. way. Sure. <laughs> also, thank you guys for all your uh, you know kind wishes and you know. And everything, just yes. keeping us in mind. We appreciate that. <laughs> Everyone was so sweet with all of their get well wishes, and we truly appreciate it. So thank you so much. And before, you know, we kind of jump into anything, I want to just say thank you to the sponsor of today's show, Skylight Frames. Uh, we'll have an ad for you later on in the show, but it's just an amazing product. and We can't wait to tell you about it. So, John, are you... Ready to finally hear something crazy. Yes, finally. <laughs> I've only waited like a week and a half. Around the holidays, there is nothing more consistent than a mother. She has to make sure the house is clean, the meals are cooked, feasts and all, the home is decorated, and the cookies are baked. And no mother was more reliable when it came to holiday consistency as 41-year-old's mother of three, Stephanie Bruner. That was why it seemed especially odd When just three days before Thanksgiving, she left to take a walk at 10 p.m. in the freezing temperatures of Colorado, never to return again. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows, If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Just after 9 a.m. on November 23, 2010, the Silverthorne, Colorado Police Department received a call on their non-emergency line. But it definitely seemed like the man that called had an emergency. 48-year-old Dale Bruner said he was worried about his wife. He had woken up that morning, actually not that long ago, at 8 a.m., and he found that his house was in chaos. Usually when he would wake up, his wife would already be getting the children ready for school. He thought that on that morning especially, the kids would basically be ready to leave because his wife, Stephanie, was scheduled to go on a field trip with his daughter's class. He said he walked out of the bedroom to find his children Nine-year-old Ellie, six-year-old Jack, and five-year-old Lily were hardly ready for school and asking where their mother was. He told the person taking his call that he searched all over the house for his wife, but he couldn't find her. He rushed to get the children ready for school and dropped them off, and in the process, he let his daughter's teacher know that his wife wouldn't be attending the field trip. 
Dale went on to say that his fear was that something had happened to his wife. The night before, the couple had a bit of a disagreement, and she'd gone out for a walk around 10 p.m. She told him that she needed to clear her head and get some air. When she left, he decided that it would be best if he just went to sleep. But when he woke up, she wasn't home. He was nervous that his wife had not come back home from her late night walk. Something had to be wrong, he said. There's no way she would just leave and not be there for the field trip for their daughter. When asked what she was wearing, he said that the only thing he could remember was that she had on a tie-dye shirt and she would have been wearing her red jacket. He was informed that an officer would be out shortly to take a formal statement from him since his wife had been missing for a considerable amount of time and he was saying it was out of character. And then he told them his address, 6321 Green Terrace Drive. He said he would meet them there. That kind of is really what caught my eye about this case, about how incredibly odd that is. Like, you do know, you always hear like stories of women that are out jogging and then they go missing. But this is a woman who just, you know, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, but 10 p.m., they're having a fight she walks out and she never comes back i mean yeah it's pretty bad i you know moral of the story so far is if you're fighting don't do that don't go to sleep and let your partner go on a jog at 10 o'clock at night it's it's not good you know that also happened with our south carolina serial yes. killer case yes i knew you were gonna say that yeah but, but it's true though it seems like anytime there's some sort of discord uh discord or something's going on like that that's what happens one of the one of the people in this relationship go missing so definitely not good. You know, what the first thing that comes to mind to me already is this guy seems smart because I mean, right away, I mean, listen, you understand this is not normal. My kids are unattended. You know, <laughs> she always does it. I never do anything, you know, like, yeah. you know, so that's, you know, that's like the man thing to do. Hey, where's my wife? Nothing's done. Oh my God. You know, like, so it's right. out of character, especially that she was supposed to go on this field trip. And it's three days before Thanksgiving. Yeah, that too. Also, I think it's interesting because I wonder now if this is something that she would do normally every night and this just happened to be, you know, just another day like she would do every other, you know, any other night. Well, we're going to get into that right now. Like, is this strange and would you really leave? Yeah, I I don't know. It's interesting. But yeah, I you know, you never know. You never know who could be watching and and looking at a routine. It's very true. So for adult missing persons cases, police usually like to wait 24 hours. But if Stephanie Bruner went out for a walk the night before and didn't return, this could potentially mean that she had gotten hurt and maybe she was outside in the elements, which in early winter in Colorado is very cold, technically late fall, but it's basically winter temperatures in Colorado. The night prior, the temperature was one degree Fahrenheit which is negative 17 Celsius for non-U.S. listeners. It always They always like when we tell them oh, yes. what the rest of the world does. <laughs> <laughs> and with the wind chill, it was more like negative 24 degrees or negative 31 Celsius. So it was absolutely freezing. And if something had happened to Stephanie, it was pretty likely that she would have died of exposure. Not to mention that morning it had also begun to snow. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how long someone's out there and what they're wearing. You know, if they have an insulated jacket on, that might help. Yeah, but it seems like she just kind of spur the moment I'm going out for a walk. So she's not going to bundle up as much as she's just going to want to get some fresh air. So 
something happened. This could be really dangerous. And that's why they take this case really seriously in the beginning. And it's not that typical, well, she's an adult. Let's give it some time. They're like, no, she could be in some pretty serious trouble. And that's just the reality of what it's like for law enforcement in Colorado and their search and rescue teams. I mean, you have to think all the mountains and, and all the kind of different terrains that you have to work against. If someone wants to go missing, it's kind of hard to find someone out there like that. Exactly. So the search for Stephanie needed to begin quickly. They had to deal with the fact that she could be in the worst case scenario. So they mobilized fastly. Immediately when detectives heard claims that Dale had made during the beginning phone call that he made, um, getting out and going for a walk after a fight is normal, they felt, but not in negative 24 degree weather. So they thought that this was a little strange, almost like a death wish. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta really enjoy <laughs> that kind of temperature to go out there like that. Right, or they're thinking like, what could have been so bad that she wanted to leave that house? Yeah, like what was the conversation about? See, but this is when it starts to, in my opinion, kind of go inward because it sounds almost too good to be true, his story that he, you know, that he obviously gave to police to get them to get there to begin with. Because, right. I don't know, he just seems, I mean, obviously I'm not listening to his recording or anything, but he does seem a little blasé. It, it's like... Okay, my wife's been saying, I don't know where she is. Can you just come over here and help me out? Like, it doesn't seem like he, there's a lot of uh, genuine concern there. Well, I will say, I don't want to, like, misrepresent him because he was very okay. panicked. Okay, okay. About his wife being missing. And um, he was kind of voicing his concern over and over again to police that his wife would have never left her kids. Okay. At least, okay, at least we get, like, some sort of clarification there. Sorry. because No, it's okay. Uh, you know, because I'm thinking, like, okay, they might need to look now inward, like I said before, to see, okay, let's listen to the call. Let's look around maybe the, the property. Right. Uh, try to understand why they would have even fought to begin with. In the beginning, it seemed like he wanted to kind of keep it together for his children. And then once he dropped them off is when he made the phone call. But I guess what you're saying is it is interesting, the non-emergency line. Right aspect of yes. it. So the police waste no time in the investigation. Their goal is to find out what happened to Stephanie because there are three kids and a frantic husband at home who need their mother and wife back. So the scenarios they want to work through, in addition to completing a massive search, are that Stephanie either ran off, died by suicide, or had been kidnapped or murdered. Like those are the three potential situations that they're approaching here and while the detectives are working out their initial interviews of friends and family the search and rescue team that work within silverthorne and the surrounding areas are going to kick into high gear and there are other search parties that are beginning to organize in the less wilderness like areas if you want to call it that so let me get into the area and the terrain a bit here first Colorado is a gorgeous state to live in. And Silverthorne is about a 30-minute drive from Vail and Beaver Creek. Closer as the crow flies, but if you have to drive through the mountains, it ends up being a 30-minute drive. But we're talking about some of the most beautiful areas that the United States has to offer. So this is a small incorporated town, but because it's a... 
surrounded by very affluent areas, it becomes an affluent suburb, I guess you could say, of those locations. Okay. Silverthorne was created by those who built the Dillon Reservoir Dam in the 1960s, and all the workers needed a place to stay, which is why the town was incorporated. And as the years have gone on and people see how beautiful the location is, um, they see the Red Mountain and Mount Silverthorne, it becomes prime real estate. So it's it's for people who can't maybe, I don't know, I don't want to say it the wrong way, but Vail is so expensive and so is Beaver Creek that this is the, the next option. Well, of course. I mean, you're going to have to expand because there's no more room in those affluent towns. Not to mention, if you have the ability to build property um, with crazy intense views that oh, would yeah. take your breath away. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that if you're a real estate developer or, or I should say um, like a – what do you call that? Like a uh, – you know, like a builder. You know what I mean. Like a yes. builder. Sorry. <laughs> There's my brain fog. <laughs> well, this town truly does have million-dollar views. It's breathtaking. It's yeah. a beautiful place to live. But all of that nature can be dangerous, especially when the temperatures were dropping and it had been snowing. The search and rescue teams from Summit County were experienced, and they were up for the task. It had been told to the search teams that Stephanie Bruner liked to go walking behind her home, where the Blue River snaked through the Arapo and Roosevelt National Forest, that she might be there. So the search began there. The hunt for her and the terrain was difficult, but the thought process was that if she had fallen, she could be suffering from hypothermia, And when someone suffers from hypothermia, they really do some bizarre things. So she could be thinking irrationally. And that's why they wanted to search everywhere because when someone who's suffering from hypothermia begins thinking irrationally, they do bizarre things like take their clothes off or um, try to travel further away from where safety is. Yeah. I mean, well, really what it does is it alters your mental state. I mean, you do not function normally. You can't. So it's it's actually, uh, from what I hear, it's insane when you're, you're going through that. Right. You can't really distinguish uh, what's real and what's fake. It's, it's kind of weird. Right. So meanwhile, in town and on the major highways, the community joined in the search for the beloved mother of three. Stephanie was very involved in schools and in the town, so everyone knew or interacted with her at some point, and they all wanted to help. The search parties were really large, and not only were they searching, but they were, um, you know, like setting up the search, putting up flyers um, all over the community and the surrounding communities. It was a really large effort. And while the streets and the mountains are being searched, the detectives wanted to do the first thing that I guess you must be taught in detective school, rule out the husband. You have to. It's the most important thing. (laughs) You always have to. And there is a bit of a gone girl situation here where um, Dale Bruner isn't necessarily participating in the search of his wife. Now, I don't know if it's because he's feeling like he wants to stay back at the house. Police never come out and say that they ask him not to be involved in the search. But people find it a little odd that he's not actively searching. You know... Though I understand, right, you also have to keep in mind a few things. His, I, And this is me just, as, you know, guesstimating here or just, you know, kind of, you know, I really don't know their life. So but I would think 
here you are, your wife takes care of everything, your home, your children, every single aspect, probably the finances, everything. So you have three kids at home now. Your mo- the mother's missing. It's probably best to be there for your children doing, during a very traumatic mo- uh, moment that's taking place here. Yeah. So I think we could write that off. I'm sure maybe if he could get maybe some kind of babysitting, maybe he could. But I think his place is to be with his children because the mother's missing. I understand that. So yeah. I'll write that off. And there's always different ways to look at situations and people deal with grief differently. So that could just be what's happening here. Yeah. Okay, let's get back to the show. But before we get into the police investigation or the clearing of Dale Bruner, I want to first get into detail about how the couple met. The love story that existed between Dale and Stephanie Bruner began 17 years earlier when they met on the beautiful Mount Hood in Oregon. One year after graduating from the University of California, Irvine, with a degree in social ecology, Stephanie volunteered as a goodwill ambassador on the mountain. And officially, a goodwill ambassador is an expert at public engagement and education, and they're dedicated to taking tourists on the beloved wilderness trails of Mount Hood. They're also known as the Trail Keepers of Oregon. What a cool name. It is pretty cool. So really, Stephanie just wanted to share her love of the outdoors, and she thought that this would be something exciting for her to do before she joined the Peace Corps, which was what she really wanted to do after college. But while she was taking a group of hikers out on the trail, she ran into Dale Bruner. Dale was off on his own with his camera equipment, as he was a professional wildlife photographer. And honestly, could you even think of a more perfect match for two people. <laughs> it's really true, though. I mean, yeah, they would have, I'm sure, so much fun together just taking pictures and exploring different places around the world. And the two, and it's that is exactly what they did. And the two hit it off immediately. They basically have the same lifestyle and hobbies. And those who know Stephanie thought that Dale, being calm and quiet, while still being fun and charismatic, was perfect for Stephanie. Stephanie was described later as fearless. She loved skydiving and sports like surfing and skiing, and she made Dale a little bit more adventurous, and he gave her a sense of peace. So everyone really liked them together. She shared in the sentiment because only a a year after dating, the two are going to move in together in Silverthorne, Colorado. So first they buy a home together. And it was an expensive place to live with views that were like no other, But Dale was making good money with his photography career. And Stephanie also contributed to the household in a major way. She kind of had two jobs. She worked as an engineering technician in Summit County. So she was kind of like a city planner. And in her spare time, which I'm sure she didn't have a lot of, um, she taught dance classes like ballroom, swing, wedding dances. She'd always been a lifelong dancer, so she still loved keeping that passion in her life and she was a very physical person but I mean it's kind of like Wonder Woman status where you have a full-time job three kids and then you do dancing lessons on the side yeah I mean that is that is a lot and I know we're talking about the backstory but I can I just uh just give you a thought here because I think it's important okay moving forward what I get from her is something that I think is a true double-edged sword 
And, and what I'm referring to here is, think about this. You have two highly ambitious people that are now in a relationship right. and, and they're starting a life together. And what I think is starting to take place here is, could her leaving the night of their fight have something to do with maybe some animosity towards the husband? Because I feel like she's so adventurous and so ambitious and so lively that I think she might feel like she was stunted or or, or maybe not used to the full potential of herself. Kept in like maybe a little bit like a homemaker's box. Yeah, like I think she had the potential to be everything other than a housewife. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? And I mean that with all due respect. It's like she could have done everything that the husband did and gone to work and had an amazing and successful career. That he was maybe holding her back. Right, right. You get what I'm trying to say here? And instead, not to say that motherhood is not um, a job or not important, but I think that she was so driven that maybe the fact that she couldn't do what she went to school for and all that other stuff. She had a lot of passion. It went on a back burner. Yeah. And I'm thinking, could that have something to do with her leaving? Well, definitely, I think that's something to keep in mind because her meeting Dale Bruner definitely changed the trajectory of her life. Yeah, I just want everybody to keep that in mind because that's a possibility, a reason for leaving in a heat of frustration. Right. She doesn't join the Peace Corps. She meets Dale. They buy a home together and then she, they get married really. So like this summer of 1996, the couple elope. Okay. They are on vacation in Fiji and they just decide to get married. And they go to really exotic places, and really that's because of Dale's business. As you can imagine, as a photographer, a nature photographer, he's he does other things on the side, but that is really where what his bread and butter is. So he gets to go to a lot of places, and I think, like you were saying, that might have been really exciting, but then, okay, now the domestic life is a different lifestyle than 100%. the couple originally had. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to make that... Uh, to kind of connect with that because right. I think a lot of people that we, you know, that listen to us would relate to something like that, Yeah, you know? Well, two years after their wedding, they had their first child, Ellie. Three years after that came their son, Jack. And then a year later, they had their second daughter and third child, Lily. And why not make it a perfect family and throw in a golden retriever? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's what I'm missing. I know, I know. <laughs> In addition to being a very loving and involved mother, Stephanie maintained these two jobs that she had and still managed in her free time to be involved in many local charities. I mean, that's incredible. That is incredible. So you can see why now so many people joined the search for her. I mean, she was beloved in the town. And after learning all of this from friends and family, it seemed even more impossible to detectives that Stephanie would ever leave her family just days before Thanksgiving because she was so dedicated to them. So that brings us back to the detectives wanting to talk to Dale. It was November 24th, the day before Thanksgiving that year. They not only wanted a picture of what had happened the night that she had gone missing, but they wanted to understand what life was like in the Bruner household. Dale was still very emotional, just as he had been the day that he initially reported his wife missing. He made various pleas to the media, and in all of them, he had always stated that his kids had never been so strong, that they missed their mother, but it was almost like they were bulletproof, 
stronger than he could ever be. So when Dale got to the station, the police asked him to first answer some questions, which would hopefully jog his memory about some things. And then they asked him if he would write his entire story down about what had happened that night. Dale stated that it was around 10 p.m. when Stephanie left the house. She had said she needed some fresh air after an argument they had. He went to bed, and when he woke up in the morning, he realized that she hadn't returned. The detectives told Dale that they had one more question, and it, it was something that was really bothering them. What would have upset Stephanie so much that she would feel the need to get some air? It was basically below freezing, and it was snowing. I mean, it, it like couldn't have been overdoing the dishes, you know? Right. Dale insisted that it wasn't a big fight, more like a disagreement over something. He said that he hadn't been in the best place with his wife as of late and that they had been arguing, but it wasn't anything that was outside the norm. He had thought things were getting better with his wife. And honestly, he said... That's really why I wasn't concerned right away when she didn't come home, because I thought when she said she was going out for air, that she wasn't really going for a walk. I thought she was going to see her boyfriend. Ooh, that's not good. And let me ask you a question. Why are we why is he being so secretive about what they fought about? He still did not come out and say what it was. Well, he, he keeps saying that it wasn't necessarily a fight, but a disagreement over something like He's like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something that I I didn't agree with. And then she kept arguing it with me. And so he that's the way he was kind of explaining yeah. it away. And then now he's talking to them formally in the police station, basically um, a little over 24 hours after he's noticed that she's been missing. And he says she has a boyfriend. Yeah. That's that's wild too, but but hold on here. You do realize that by him saying about the fight and kind of like not being a hundred percent there and now talking about the boyfriend, you realize that that creates even more motive now for him to have done something. Uh, yeah, I okay. know. Also, let's be honest. This is and this is my pure belief here. When a detective tries to figure something out, it is in those little minute details that figure out crimes. So I know that at a glance, not knowing what the fight was, or I can't remember exactly what the cat, you know, what the reason was. Like, mm -hmm. well, to me, that matters. That matters a lot because that little fight, that little spark that lit it up, that might lead to something else. So right. it's all in the minute details. So I would want to know that. And the huge detail of her having well, a that boyfriend. Too. Sure, sure. But I'm just saying. Both of those things need to be addressed. And now he does not look that good. I think it's also the fact, too, that he is hindering the investigation, you could say, by not disclosing that she had a boyfriend before this. At the beginning. Like, this is something, like, he probably should have been the first one they looked into. Well, because you know what? By saying, hey, listen, um, I just want you guys to know, you know, we have, we've had some arguments. My wife has a boyfriend. Uh, we've been ba fighting about this. At least... To be honest and to say, hey, look, there's somebody else that you can go investigate. And, and it's, you know, that way you're not just looking at me solely. You know, at least have someone on the police radar other than yourself, buddy. Well, could it you know? also have been maybe? Mm -hmm. And I'm just throwing this out there as devil's advocate. Sure. 
that he really thought she was at her boyfriend's house. And wouldn't it be humiliating if he called the police because he thought you were missing and the police are going around looking for you and people are looking for you and then they find out you were just at a boyfriend's house? Can I say something? What I, I, this, I, is, this is half your listen, podcast. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be rude or insensitive, but to be honest here – who cares if you're if you're if you feel uh, upset or or like if you get humiliated? You're, if if that is the case, you're cheating on your husband. Your husband's worried about you. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You get caught with your pants down. <laughs> you know, I, there's really nothing that you could do there for yourself, right? Well, no, I know. I think that maybe he wanted to humiliate her, and that might have been why he called. Like maybe he didn't know that she was missing. Missing. He thought this is a way that I could maybe. show her she has responsibilities. Maybe, but there's but there's no evidence to suggest that she was slacking in her responsibilities as as a parent, uh, at least as a parent. Well, in his mind, if she's having an affair, he'll feel like she is. No, I understand what you're saying, but I but I think the biggest takeaway from the him letting the the police know that she had a boyfriend or someone that she was seeing on the side, um, that is something to investigate. Yeah, I would say it probably should have been told ASAP. Yeah. So the detectives were flabbergasted. Why had this detail not come out before? Dale said that he'd been trying to protect Stephanie from the opinions of other people and that he didn't really want this aspect of their lives to come out. But now that she'd been missing for a significant amount of time, he felt like he had to reveal this information. But that was the reason they hadn't been good as of late. Because Dale had found out that his wife had been having an affair. So it seems like that makes sense now why he doesn't remember what they were fighting about. Right. Because he didn't want to reveal that she was having an affair. I think that especially in an affluent town like this, and because she's so well-known and so well-respected, I think that they were trying to protect the image. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of things would probably go away or just be non-existent if they found out what she was doing. Right. And it kind of makes sense. It does. It does. It makes sense as to why he was holding back as to what they were fighting about. But according to Dale, the couple was trying to work things out, especially for the kids. So Dale wrote down everything that had been going on in the home, especially involving Stephanie's affair and what had happened that night. A small argument. She left. He went to bed. He assumed that maybe she had gone over her boyfriend's house, slept on the couch. He just didn't think she would return to the bed because they had gotten into an argument. Yeah, which I think happens sometimes in certain relationships, right? The man that Stephanie had been having an affair with was named Ron Holdhouse. The way that Stephanie and Ron had come to know each other was quite interesting. Stephanie had always been one to participate in community fundraisers and had been very excited to compete in an annual fundraiser that the community had called Dancing with the Mountain Stars. In this fundraiser, notable members of the community would be paired up with dance instructors and they would compete in a competition against each other. Unlike the Dancing with the Stars show, which the fundraiser was kind of like modeled after um the committee would have a competition that lasted only one night and the proceeds of all the tickets would go to the local hospital stephanie of course was asked to be one of the dance instructors 
And when Dale said he couldn't make it that year because he had a wedding shoot that weekend, she was paired with somebody randomly and it ended up being popular local physical therapist Ron Holthouse. Are you the guy that she's cheating with? Yes. The, the dancing made them cheat. Oh. <laughs> okay. Can, okay. I have to say. Um, well, it brought them close. Yeah, it got I them guess. close. You know, Stephanie and Dale, right? Two nice names. You know, can't you guys are cute. Can you just be cute? Don't fight. Like, don't cheat on each other. You know, just use the John method and everything will be all right. What's the John method? The John method? You don't know the John method? <laughs> no, John, Babe, how do you not know the John method? <laughs> Anytime Kate and I get into an oh, argument, yes, yes, my yes. number one thing is, don't be embarrassed that I say this out loud. Oh, okay, I go I go to her. I go, stop. Let's not fight. <laughs> don't, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Come on. Seriously. Be, be serious. Okay. I say, stop. Let's not fight. I love you too much, and I do not want to argue with you. I'm sorry if I did anything to upset you. If I could do anything to remedy it, just let me know. Yep. And that's what I tell you, right? That That's what you tell me. That is what I tell you. Yes. So that is the John method. I see him thinking about the How, line to yes. say next. Yes. Because sometimes I trip that up. I trip it up, right? Adorable. But, but anyway, use the John method and everything will be all right. Sometimes things go beyond the John method, John. <sighs> I because understand. there I understand. has to be genuine feelings behind it. I agree with you. But, if, you know, in some cases... The John method works. No need to leave and run out in negative degree weather. Just use the John method. I agree. But maybe there's something more happening here. Well, yeah, obviously. Now, the training for this competition began in September of 2010. And the show was supposed to be in late October. This is where things get complicated. When I write these episodes, I always strive to do so for the victims. So no matter how you feel about extramarital affairs... And trust me, they are not true crime couple approved, but just follow me on this journey, okay? Oh, I'm following. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm here. I'm good. So later, according to close friends of Stephanie, with whom she confided in, she believed that she instantly hit it off with Ron. He was attractive, tall, and athletic, and he was very sweet to her. She felt a strong connection to him right away. And she believed that her relationship with Dale had faded over time. Stephanie told her friends that the two of them never slept together and that their relationship was purely emotional and spiritual. Stephanie's friend revealed that Stephanie told her that she was in love with Ron. That when she'd gotten laid off from her job as a city planner, which we'll get into later, Um, that it had only been her relationship with Ron that had helped her get through it all. She said he was compassionate and that he cared about her, and he always wanted to listen to what she had to say. But not only was Stephanie married, so was Ron. Oh, you guys. I know. Damn you guys. She told her friend that they were both unhappy in their relationships and they wanted to be together. Not only had the... They'd been seeing each other while they were training for the dance competition, but now they were also meeting up outside of it as well. But this is good information. Now this gives other people that you could put on a suspect list. Right. Let me just say, there is nothing worse than a woman scorned. That's true. Could Ron's wife have some sort of, uh, you know, have something to do with her disappearance? It's very true. 
So I like where this is going. The digger, the the more you dig, the more kind of shit you find. Yep. So Stephanie had also told her friend that Dale had found out about the relationship she was having with Ron. More on that later. I know how he found out. So it's an interesting one. But Stephanie told her friend that Dale wanted to keep his family together. And she gave her the impression that Dale was fighting for his family. But Stephanie had definitely moved on. When the competition happened, Dale didn't attend because he had been shooting a wedding on that day. But Ron's wife, Cindy, she was there. And it was clear that she felt uncomfortable with Stephanie. And she had Ron leave immediately after the competition. It was pretty clear that she had an idea as to what was going on. Okay. The detective who had spoken to both Dale and Stephanie's friend wanted to now speak to Ron Holdhouse to get the other side of the story. And with him to talk to Ron Holdhouse, he took with him uh, a detective from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation because now they're also involved in this missing persons case, which seemed at this point, because she had been missing for so many days, and if she was outside, she most likely was not surviving the temperatures. When asked if he knew where Stephanie was, Ron said he didn't know. He confirmed what her friend said, that their relationship had been both emotional and spiritual, but was not physical. He did tell them that the last time he saw Stephanie was on the day she disappeared. Well, that doesn't sound good for you, buddy. No, I no, Ron. <laughs> doesn't sound good. So Ron said that he basically had a revelation that he wanted to work things out with his wife. He wanted to end the affair that they had been having, physical or not. He wrote an email on Sunday saying that he needed to end things between them. He went on to tell them that Stephanie was not happy about this. She had fully intended to leave Dale for him. She requested that the two of them meet in person because she wanted to talk about things face to face. So he agreed and he arranged for them to have a meeting. And that was on November 22nd. When the two met, Ron told her that as of that moment, his wife, Cindy, didn't know what was happening. And like she had an idea, but she didn't know for sure. And he just wanted to end things before the affair was found out and he wanted to kind of start over again with his wife. He wanted to, the couples originally from Florida, he wanted to go back to Florida, start fresh with his wife and kind of just end things. And then Ron said on that day, after he officially totally completely ended things with Stephanie, they shared their first kiss, a kiss goodbye. Oh God. All right. He told her that he cared for her a lot, but he had to end things. And he said that Stephanie had been devastated. She believed that they were soulmates. But that had been during the day. And Ron went on to say that that was the last time that he saw, spoken to, or heard from Stephanie. And when asked for his alibi for later that night, because she left the house at 10 p.m., he said he had been with his wife all night that they shared the same bed, they slept well, and that the following morning they woke up together. So, wow. 
the detectives were dealing with a lot of revelations here. Stephanie had been having an affair. She wanted to leave her husband for another man, but that other man had broken things off just five hours before she had gone missing. Had she been devastated? I mean, rejection can kind of hurt sometimes. Well, especially when you are going out on a limb and saying you're leaving your husband, the father of your three children, for this person, and then they turn around and say no. Well, I think one side, I think, was more in love with the other, quite possibly, or one just kind of snapped back to reality. (laughs) You know what I mean? But um, it is interesting that it was done five hours before, and then she leaves and then is never heard of again. Right. And she did get into an argument with her husband that night, and it most likely had been in regards to this affair that was taking place. And on top of that rejection, she'd also been laid off from her long-term job. There was a lot going on here for this woman, and it seemed like she was in a really sad place. So now they're thinking, could it have been Dale, Ron, Cindy, or had she been too upset and overwhelmed by it all that she chose to leave on her own accord. The detectives decided that they needed to know more. And more importantly, they had to find Stephanie, because that would really help give them the answers here. Detectives thought on day three of the search, Thanksgiving Day, that maybe clues to where Stephanie could be would be found within the Bruner home. And if Dale was responsible for any of this, maybe evidence would be found. So Dale consented to the search but was at the home of family during the search because he said he wanted to protect the kids from like seeing that. And he wanted to give them normalcy on Thanksgiving. So they attended Thanksgiving at someone else's house while the police searched the home. All right. Which is so sad. It's sad, but it's also they're spending Thanksgiving. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, you got to think he's doing the best job that he can, you know, by trying to keep things, you know, on the down low and, and just shield the them, kids. you know, just shield them from anything that might harm them, you know? Right. So just the fact that Dale signed the consent to search was something that was positive in the eyes of the detectives. There was no signs of a struggle, like scratches on any walls, furniture. There was no like small blood droplets. There wasn't even any signs of someone having tried to clean up a crime scene like you know sometimes you see like blood was tried to be cleaned up by bleach there was none of that right right so after the search was complete the same day that they spoke with dale the detectives gave him an update on the situation involving ron they said that they spoke with ron and he doesn't know where stephanie was or could have gone and that his alibi was that he was at home with his wife but that they would work to confirm that So Dale said that he knew something had been really wrong with Stephanie, beyond just having the affair. He said that recently she had been on anti-anxiety medication because her anxiety had been at an all-time high. And she was upset because she had lost her job and his photography business wasn't really doing well. He said she'd been acting out and doing strange things. The detectives asked what he meant by that. And this is when Dale decided to, I guess you could say, get ahead of some information before the detectives found out for themselves. He said that in late October, there had been an incident when he had spanked their son. 
And Stephanie, who had seen this happen, thought that he had taken it too far. And she took out a restraining order against him and said she was filing for divorce. Okay. I mean, I understand that whole thing. I mean, if you know, but like, listen, certain things happen and and sometimes you don't want to do that. And then you realize, oh, wow, I shouldn't have hit my child that hard or you know, I, I mean, to go to an extreme like that makes me think, is he telling the whole truth here? Because based on one episode, one one issue, I don't think that's enough to warrant that kind of behavior. Well, he was trying to say, and I think you're on the right track. Yeah. But he is trying to say that when she did this, she was like in the midst of her affair. And he thought that she was doing this um, as kind of like... Well, he did this, so this is the catalyst for me to leave. I understand. Like, provoke me, please. Like, exactly. kind of one of those things. And okay. that because she was trying, she was intending to file for divorce, she saw this as the incident that would a- allow her to get custody. And maybe even mentally justify it, too. Why she's leaving. Yeah. But I think on the other aspect of it, like you said, it would be weird to do that after just one incident. Right. So I want you to keep that in yeah. the back of your mind. Yeah. So then Dale said that once Stephanie realized what the restraining order really meant, she rescinded it immediately. So 10 days after the restraining order went into effect, it was rescinded. Yeah. See, messing with that whole thing is such a bad idea. Well, hold on. Oh, okay. Never mind. This is only one side of the story. You know what? You are correct. We can't make assumptions. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll I'll take it back. Stop. (laughs) Stop. Don't want to fight with you. So really what Dale was saying was that Stephanie had been acting impulsively. That's what he was trying to make it seem like to law enforcement at this point. So then the detectives who were really hellbent on knowing what this argument was the night she left asked him again, Dale, what were you actually arguing about the night of the disappearance? And then Dale's like, well, it wasn't really a fight. We actually didn't fight. The story completely changes from Dale because now he's insisting that there wasn't a fight. She just wanted to get some air. I don't like where this is going, Dale. I don't like how your story is changing and how you're not being um, cooperative. Or honest. Or honest. And every time Dale gives out information, he gives it to them with a spin on things that try to make him look like he's in right, a positive because light. It, right, because if he doesn't, then he's he's afraid that it's gonna implicate him. Yeah. So I'm um, um it's it's kind of uh it's not looking good for you, Dale. I don't know in my eyes. Well right don't now. forget we still have Ron and Cindy. Yeah well you know if their alibi checks out they might be alright. Their alibi is each other. I understand, but they have to investigate that. How? eyewitness testimony. Maybe no. someone saw them home is what I'm saying. We've had somebody literally have pizza ordered to their house and it was a fake alibi you know you're right you're right okay so really for a while detectives had been kind of backing away from the idea that dale was involved in this disappearance after the search came up okay and then they found out about the affair but now dale doing this and saying this and changing his story and bringing up the restraining order it kind of put him right back on their radar So I think as Dale was thinking he was doing things to take him off their radar, it was actually having the opposite effect. I would be curious to know if he has any means 
of like getting rid of a body to a place where nobody would know to look or like, you know, what does he do in his spare time? Like these are all things that might lead to if he is the guy or not. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. Okay. Because it is after this conversation with Dale the next day, actually, that the detectives would get an answer to their most pressing question. What happened to Stephanie? Because on the 26th, her body was found. Okay. Search and rescue teams found her body while searching the forest that hugged the Blue River. On the banks of the river that she loved to often visit, only half a mile, about 900 yards from her home, her body was found on the banks of the river, half covered in snow. I mean, that's really upsetting. You know what I mean? Because now these three kids just lost their mom. Yes. So detectives and crime scene technicians rushed to the location. It was a difficult sight to see. A 41-year-old Stephanie was found naked. The tie-dye shirt that Dale said she had left the house in was hanging off one of her arms. It seemed as if Mother Nature was working against them when it came to the solving of this crime. It had been snowing all the time they had been searching for her, making the conditions to find her difficult. But now that she had been found, they were going through a bit of a warm spell. And that meant the snow around Stephanie's body was melting rapidly. And it would be very difficult to get any shoe imprints around the body. In addition to this, the snow melting was causing the levels of the river to rise. And her body was very close to the river. As the water rose up around her, not only was it more rapidly melting the snow, but it was washing away any DNA evidence that could be useful to them. I was just thinking that, like, yes, it would wash away evidence, but wouldn't the, like, the snow and the colder temperature, even though it's warming up, wouldn't that kind of preserve the body um, just to see if there's any, like, bruising or any other kind of injuries like that? It would preserve her body. Right. I mean, obviously, the evidence would be gone, but, but I mean, it, uh, you know. That's what it meant. Like, the evidence is definitely washing away completely. Right, because, you know, like, sometimes they'll say, like, oh, well, we can't determine what happened because we, you know, the body is way too decomposed. But obviously, if it's, you know, if her body is in temperatures and conditions like this, it might have preserved that. Yeah, the body is definitely preserved, but it's the evidence that's washing away. That's okay. what they need. Because your body can only tell you so much. Yeah, it's, that's it's true. Everything around it and on top of it that could have been helpful, especially the boot imprints. The techs at the scene worked quickly to record the scene and get what evidence they could. And then Stephanie's body was carried away from the river and was taken to the medical examiner for an autopsy. Dale and Stephanie's family were informed of the discovery immediately. When Dale was told where his wife had been, he looked in the direction of the river and he broke down sobbing. He was a wreck. How was he going to tell his three children that their mother would never come home? The autopsy results were released three days later. Stephanie had water in her lungs and suffered from signs of hypothermia. She had been alive when she was placed basically half in the river. The soles of her feet were clean, so she had not walked or been forced to walk through the woods without her shoes on 
because her shoes couldn't be found. That's odd. Yeah, it it is a little interesting, and I think it um is something that they're going to question. But again, they can't find a lot of her clothing. Like the only piece of clothing she's found with is her tie dye shirt. So they're thinking that the person who killed her took a majority of her clothing. Right, because I mean, it doesn't seem like you would intentionally take your clothes off like that, even if you were in a state of hypothermia. Hypothermia. Well, actually. But you would, but your clothes would be near you. They yeah. weren't. That is a little odd. I I don't know, but yeah, something doesn't make sense here. Based on what had happened to Stephanie's body, it was immediately clear that she had not died by suicide. There were no signs of sexual assault, but swabs had been taken for good measure. On her skull, there was evidence of blunt force trauma. She had been hit by something that had caused her skull to break. Based on crushed bones in her throat and bruising around her neck, manual strangulation was also apparent. The opinion of the medical examiner was that it was not clear what the exact cause of death was. The blunt force trauma, the drowning, hypothermia, the strangulation, or a twisted combination of any of those horrible things that happened to the mother of three young children on that snowy November night on the banks of the Blue River, could have killed her. After the initial 48 hours of Stephanie being missing, I'm sure the detectives knew that she wasn't going to be found alive. But I very much doubt that they thought she would have faced the brutality that she did. It was shocking even to the seasoned detectives. But what they did know, based on the years of experience under their belts, was that a murder like that was personal. Someone had really wanted to hurt her, and they still had the same suspects on their list, and it didn't seem to be changing. It was Dale, Ron, or Ron's wife, Cindy. I mean, at least they have a core like grouping of people who could be responsible. Right. It is interesting in the matter of, like, any one of those things could have killed her. Because I feel like like strangulation, I mean, that takes such a long time and it's so aggressive and personal and very, it's so like barbaric. I mean, it's just. The story that the prosecution is going to present later on to a jury is absolutely heartbreaking, but it explains all of the injuries that she suffered. Okay. It's just, yeah, I I don't know who could really be responsible at this point. They all have motive like that. They all have motive. And all of them have done themselves no favor. One has been there uh, the day that she disappeared, even though it was five hours you know, before uh, that she went missing. She, mm-hmm. That was the last person to see her. The husband has motive because he's been cheated on. You know, he, maybe he feels like he's been wronged. Um, you have the, the Ron's wife. I mean, that's not good either. Mm-hmm. No one's going to like to find out that their husband's cheating on them either. So everyone has some sort of motive and hasn't helped their cause. Yes, especially because... They had been, well, Ron had been trying to end the affair, and Stephanie seemed like she really didn't want that to happen. Right. uh, That also makes a person desperate. Like, what if Ron felt that he had to kill her for her to stop? Like, you never know. Or an argument just ensued. Yeah, you you never know. For all you know, she could have, like, tried to smack him or something. One one thing led into another, and he hit her over the head, and then he was like, okay, well, I'm in it. I might as well do what I have to or think I have to do what I have to do. And there's a potentiality that that could have happened with Dale too. Or Dale. 
Yeah. Or Cindy. Or Cindy. So the next move they wanted to make was with Cindy. Not only was she a suspect, but she was also Ron's alibi. An interview with her could tell them a lot. In the interview, she revealed that she had only just recently learned of the affair that had taken place between her husband and Stephanie. Cindy told the investigators that her husband told her about the affair just before Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, that's not a good place to tell Well, I think he that. did it because then he knew they'd be around people. Yeah. Afterwards, then she would come. It's a strategic thing this guy did. When they asked, she admitted to them that she had been so angry in those moments. And when she found out what had happened and the extent of it, she stated she told her husband that she hoped that Stephanie would rot in hell because she was so angry about what had happened. She said she was furious, but then when the woman's body had been found, she said she felt horrible that she said something like that because now all she could think about was Stephanie's children. Cindy did confirm Ron's alibi. She said she had been home with him the whole night. They asked her what I'm sure you're thinking now. Would you lie to protect him? And she said she wouldn't lie. Because if he did this, it was his own fault. And he shouldn't have even been having an affair. So she wasn't going to be the one to cover for him because she was still angry with him. Or she using him as the, as the fall guy so she can get away with murder. You Possibly. Know? You never know. After Cindy's questioning was over, the detectives asked her and Ron if they'd be willing to take a lie detector test. And the couple agreed. But when the couple came in to take their test, they both failed. Ooh. Now, we don't know exactly what the questions they failed were, but we do know that a lie detector test is not admissible in court, but it kept the couple on the police radar. Their alibi, after all, was each other, and they both had a strong reason to commit the crime. You're like, why are you so nervous? If anything, I mean, a, a, a lie detector test, it's almost like a, a false positive positive because <laughs> like uh, even if it is wrong the lie detector test why are you acting suspicious why are you acting a certain way why are you on your toes what are you hiding well what we learned in another case that we covered is that just because the public is being told by law enforcement they failed the test we don't necessarily know what questions they failed right i know 100 percent. they might not be questions to do with Stephanie's murder more the affair in the meantime the detectives had a lot of questions regarding Dale and Stephanie's marriage and the situation involving the affair the divorce the restraining order it was all really confusing and it seemed like they were getting answers although they might not be necessarily happy with these answers from Ron and Cindy but they still weren't getting answers from Dale so they wanted somebody to kind of iron out the details of this intense drama that seemed to be Stephanie and Dale's life as of lately. So to do this, they spoke to Dale and Stephanie's family and friends again to try and like nail down the events and the timeline to have a true picture painted of what had been happening over the last couple of months. So based on their conversations with all of these people, they were able to put this together. Are you ready? I'm ready. First, Stephanie agrees to do the charity. Dale can't participate because he has a wedding to shoot the weekend of the event. 
Stephanie assured him that it was okay. She would just be paired with somebody else. And this is when she met Ron. Over the course of the following three weeks, she began to fall in love with him. Hard. And he, her. It was mutual. The two really went full swing. You like you see what I did there? I like that. Into things. So that brings us to October 13th. This is an important date because a lot of things happen on this day. It was a Wednesday. Also important. On that morning, Dale was going to take the kids to school. And when Stephanie was working, Dale was always the parent to take the kids to school because this is when she was a city planner still. But on that morning, Stephanie had been in a rush to get to work and she realized she forgot something at home that was really important. As she ran back into the house, she saw her daughters downstairs and she heard crying upstairs and then a smack and then more crying. She realized it must have been her husband and her son upstairs. So she's going to run to them. And according to what Stephanie told her family, friends, and later a judge, she heard seven more smacks. And by the time she got to the door, she saw that her son was hysterically crying and he was um, bent over Dale's lap and he was aggressively spanking the son. She said that her son was hysterically crying. She was furious with him. And Dale had told the police later in interviews that he felt terrible that he had exhibited horrible behavior, but he felt that his son had done something that went beyond the normal means of punishment. And he felt he had to do that, but he knew that he would never do that again because he felt so bad. So the two have two totally different descriptions of what had gone down that day. I mean, it seems like it. I mean, also, what what justifies that kind of, yeah. you know, like, we don't know. Like, what 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 did he do? It's kind of like when we asked him, um, you know, what did you fight about with your wife? And he wouldn't before he wasn't forthcoming. Yeah. And he's Same seven years this. old. Yeah, I mean, so. I don't know. So Stephanie took the kids to school and then went to work. It was on that very same day that she got laid off. Okay. That's a bad day. That's a really bad day. So once she left her job, she went to the police to report the incident. When asked, she said that she wanted to place a restraining order on her husband. She spoke with a judge who accepted her request. But Stephanie had another interesting request for the judge. She asked them not to have the restraining order served or take effect until the following Monday. Remember, this is Wednesday. So Monday, the 18th of October, was when she wanted the order served. And although the judge thought this was odd, they obliged. According to Dale, he said that it also wasn't a good day, that he knew his marriage was off, and that Stephanie had been angry about him hitting their son. She had just received news that she was laid off, but when she got home, she made an interesting request. She asked if they could go away for the weekend as a family. So that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if they could go away on a long weekend together. So he agreed thinking, okay, this is good. I'll spend time together with my wife. I'll spend time together with my kids and maybe we'll make this all better. According to Dale, they shared a fun and romantic 
And what he just said was a very happy weekend together and that they returned home Monday morning. Okay. But when they got to the house, Stephanie told Dale that she wanted to talk. She revealed to him that she'd been having an emotional affair for the better part of a month. She told him that she still loved him, but that she had found her soulmate and she wanted to be with him. She wanted a divorce. She also said that she could not stand what he had done to their son. So she had gone to a judge and asked for a restraining order. She said that restraining order will take effect today. And that any minute, the sheriff's department will be there to remove you from the house. It doesn't seem... I don't know. That sounds so intense. According to Dale, they had a great weekend together. Then they come back. I'm having an affair. I want to leave you. I want a divorce. There's a restraining order against you. The sheriff's department will be here in minutes. I mean, that's intense. I feel like this is very disingenuous. I I just, I I don't know. I mean, I, I can understand if there are other incidents of him doing this to the child or other or the other children there too and herself also like if if she is being abused in any way right then i can understand this course of action but if you f- if if that was taking place and then you you go and do that you tell the judge to prolong it to be able to go out on the weekend like what is your end game well, it's, maybe it's very odd. She is trying to find the best way to do this, or is she looking for a way to leave? Yeah, like 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 with the kids. I think, like is she trying to do that? I I think she's trying to find a way to leave. Yeah, and she was right. Within minutes, the sheriff's deputies were there, and for ten days, Dale didn't see Stephanie or the children. Wow. Finally, during a request hearing that Stephanie requested to have the restraining order rescinded. Uh, During a court hearing, Dale told a judge that he regretted what he had done and said he would never do it again. When Dale came back to the house, he said he wanted to fight for his family, but he understood if Stephanie wanted to go. Stephanie told him that she had actually gone ahead and purchased a condo. Dale said that if that was what she wanted, he would let her do that. According to Stephanie's family, it was a little different than that. He was not necessarily combative, but he definitely was fighting for his family. He called Stephanie's family constantly to try and get them on his side. Now, throughout the years, Stephanie's family had grown less and less fond of Dale. They said that he had a major temper, and on two occasions that they know of, he was very violent with Stephanie. So when he called them... Her sister, in particular, was definitely like I. Uh, her sister goes on later interviews and goes, I I felt like at the time Stephanie, I didn't know what she was doing, that she was going through a chaotic time in her life, but I knew that she shouldn't be with Dale. That's what her family felt. And it is interesting that now we're starting to see other people's perspective uh, into their relationship. So. It does seem like he can fly off the handle, and he is. And with that being said, if someone's able to uh, be that way, there is there's always the possibility that things could escalate. Correct, right? And the two instances of violence um, had been once when 
Stephanie had been early on in their relationship in a fight with Dale and she wanted to leave the house and he choked her and said, you'll never leave me. Yeah, that's pretty intense. And then the second incident of violence is when they were, she was first pregnant with their eldest child and he like aggressively pinned her down and had his knee hard against the belly. Yeah, that that's also insanely crazy. Um, you know, also, I just want to say, when she was with Ron and doing those extracurriculars, yes, you also have to take something into account. She even said it was a it was an emotional um, affair. Affair, right? Well, you know, once again, I'm not condoning, you know, that kind of behavior, obviously, but. She's obviously not getting what she needs emotionally, supportive, be, you know, someone that's supportive who could be emotional. Right. Obviously, she's not getting that from from Dale. And I think that might even be a, a, a way for her to uh, that she wants some help. I mean, if you really start to take a dive into this, you could understand why she might be doing what she's doing. Right. She sees that as a way out, not necessarily as her cheating and trying to get rid of her life. She might feel like the only push she's going to have to actually leave a bad relationship that she's in would be the support of another another man it's possible Mm -hmm. so when it came time for stephanie to move into her condo dale did help her do so that was on november 20th two days before she disappeared according to a later interview that was had with ron he stated that The first time he actually told Stephanie he didn't want to be with her any longer was the night of the 20th, the first night she moved into her condo. She was talking with him about how she had made the first steps towards them being together. She was leaving her husband. She got her own place. And now all that was left to do was for him to leave Cindy. And that's when he said, I'm not ready to do this. Actually, I want to start over with my wife again. So, as you can imagine, this was probably a massive blow to Stephanie. The same night that she moves into her condo, her boyfriend tells her, I actually am not leaving my wife. You've done everything on your end and potentially put yourself in danger, but I'm not going to do what I said I was going to do. And Stephanie goes back to Dale that night. Dale said he was sleeping in bed. This was the night that he moved Stephanie into her condo and he heard a commotion downstairs. And the next thing he knew, Stephanie was coming back into bed with him. So she returned home and she said, "Um, I made a mistake. I want to be together. And Dale said he was happy to welcome her back. So that is two nights before the disappearance. I'm finding it hard to come to some sort of I don't want to say conclusion, but I have no idea what is going on here. I know. None. Well, upon reflection, her sister says, you know, maybe her sister was torn because she really did want to be with Ron and she wanted to start her life over again. She wanted to leave Dale, but she knew she couldn't do it alone. And if Ron wasn't going to be there, then she couldn't leave Dale. And now she has to make it right with Dale and make it look like 
to him, she was choosing him. Right. She was trying to safely return to him. I see what you're saying. And um, the fact really was that Stephanie wasn't just going to give up on her relationship with Ron. So she continued to try and communicate with him via phone calls and emails, which was why he emailed her again the night of the 21st, reiterating what he had already said. I want to break up with you. I don't want to be with you any longer. And that's why she demanded a meeting the 22nd, the day she disappeared. So see, the we didn't realize all of this chaos took place. It had been held back from police. Two days before the disappearance, right. she's in a condo. Ron breaks up with her. She goes back to Dale. She's still trying to get back with Ron. She meets with Ron that day. Then she goes home, supposedly has a disagreement with Dale, leaves the house, and is murdered. That's a crazy 48 hours. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of emotionality in that as well. You have uh, you have three people or four people that are in this in this crazy roller coaster ride. Yeah. I mean, the emotions that there's so many highs and lows here. I mean, these play factors in 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 es- uh, some sort of escalation. Right. So based on the story now. With the gaps filled in and all, the detectives felt as if they really needed to focus on Ron and Cindy because it seems like Ron and Cindy are the catalyst here. Dale helped her move into the condo. He took her back when she came back. So it seems like the aggressors here or the ones that have the most to lose are kind of Ron and Cindy. Well, they're the ones that have the conflict with Stephanie, I should say. And we can't forget the couple failed the polygraph test. So they brought the couple in for questioning again, and they requested to search their home. They, like Dale had, agreed to the search, and law enforcement searched their home and vehicles while they were being questioned. It turned out that the home of Ron and Cindy had been clean. They searched every inch of the house and their cars, and nothing indicated them in the crimes. Cindy's journal was found in which she spoke about her feelings, how badly she felt for Stephanie's children and how she prayed that their mother would be able to be home with them for Thanksgiving. And according to their computer records, the story that Ron had told them about the email that he sent and all the other emails that he said he sent were corroborated because not only had he sent Stephanie that email on the 21st that was confirmed and then she sent him an email back asking to meet and they, he agreed again, But he also said, I was home the night of the murder because I sent emails to a business associate and then went to bed. And it's true. These emails did come from his computer and his IP address. So he was most likely home the the night of the murder. Ron. Ron. Okay. So it's so crazy. Both houses are clean. No evidence anywhere. Alibis. Well, Ron's alibi seems to be more legit than anyone else's because of the emails. Right. Um, Well, the police at this point really rule out Ron and Cindy. Yeah. So now it's December 6th, and the police really have one suspect left. Dale. They go to the Bruner house again to have a conversation with him. But in doing so, they notice something odd. Every picture of Stephanie, any trace of her having lived at the home at all, was gone. 
Only 15 days after her disappearance, she had been wiped from the home that she worked so hard to create. The police searched the house again, but they knew at this point it was futile because if Dale had wiped the house of Stephanie, he'd gotten rid of whatever evidence remained in the home as well. The only thing left in the house that day that was Stephanie's was her laptop, and they took it with them. Police re-interviewed Stephanie's friends and family and asked if they could help them with the case they were trying to build against Dale. They also had received a tip from a woman that Dale had dated back in 1993, and they wanted to look further into it. At first, when the woman called, they didn't think that it was going to go anywhere. Sometimes when people have connections to cases, they reach out to get involved, something the detectives were used to. But then this woman started talking about Dale being really good at putting on an act, that he could be kind and charming, but privately, he was very violent. And he could flip like a switch and get crazy. She admitted to the two of them fighting many times, but their fights would always end the same way with Dale strangling her. Whoa. Okay, that's a really, really big clue. And he strangled Stephanie the one time they fought. Yes. And Stephanie had been strangled. Okay. So she knew she had to leave. But this woman also said that she heard that other girlfriends, both before and after her, suffered the same abuses. So he has a trend. Yeah. So as they were talking to Stephanie's friends and family, her sister and friend gave insight to the police about the two violent incidences um they said that dale had gotten very angry at first he had tried to strangle stephanie that's the first incident and he was screaming at her i'll kill you if you ever leave and then in the second incident because there were only two instances that they knew about dale got angry with her pinned her down shoved his knee violently against her pregnant belly these are two very violent incidents And it made the police understand why Stephanie reacted the way they did to him spanking their son, because now he was getting violent with the children. Yeah. See, now it's starting to make sense. He's getting worse with his temper and his violence. And she wants to protect her kids. Mm -hmm. This was going to be a really tough call for the district attorney. They truly believed that Dale Bruner had killed his wife, but all they had was circumstantial evidence. And after months and months of collecting whatever they could and building their case, the district attorney must have felt confident because they obtained an arrest warrant for Dale on August 3rd, 2011. These poor kids, though. Oh, my gosh. I know. Their mother, now their father's in <laughs> Jail. Well, once Dale gets arrested, he does get released on bail while he's awaiting trial, but the kids go to live with Stephanie's family. Okay. Right. At first, Dale was offered a plea deal. So his children and the state wouldn't have to go through the pains of a trial. But Dale maintained his innocence. He said he didn't do it. And that they had no physical evidence that he killed his wife of over 11 years. And, as his defense maintained, if he had truly been this abusive man for 11 years, wouldn't they have more evidence other than two incidents of hearsay? I will say, though, going into this, 
I feel like there was there's not enough to hold him. Which the case I, is shaky. I, I which I think is bizarre that you would do because you got one shot at getting him in prison for murder. Yeah. So I'm I am a little shocked that they decided to just say you know what, f it, we're gonna go for it. You know. I I too agree with you that the circumstantial evidence is all that they have, and not having any physical evidence is a little hard. But once I go through what the prosecution claims, you'll understand why they felt confident moving forward. Okay. So the case began in July of 2012. So first, let me go through the prosecution's case here. Their theory was that Dale was a violent man. Stephanie had been afraid of him for a long time, and she didn't feel as if she could make it on her own. And the catalyst for her leaving was the comfort and support that she found in Ron to be able to leave. Based on auto-saved information from Stephanie's collected laptop, she had been replying to Ron Holdhouse's email just before midnight. Oh. So she did not leave the house at around 10 p.m. She was constructing an email just before midnight. And the email stopped mid-sentence. The prosecution theorized that Dale had seen Stephanie typing the email, maybe even read what she had written about her still wanting to be with Ron. And this infuriated him. He had helped her move out, been fighting for them to be together. And just the night before, Stephanie came back to him saying that she made a mistake. And here she was sending an email around midnight to her boyfriend, pleading for him to stay with her. It triggered him and he got violent again. Yeah, I think I think that that sounds about right. And and even though I know he's violent, I think that this is him fully like snapping. If if, you know, I agree. I after everything that when that happened, I think this. Yeah. Caused him to snap. Because I think that, you know, you yes, you can have. um an anger issue you can maybe fly off the rail and collect yourself you know i'm not and i'm not saying that he did not do those things uh you know i know that he got violent um but i'm just trying to say some people they might be able to bring it back and kind of reel it back and instead of doing more damage you know what i mean yeah um because he's not an innocent man here at all um but i think that maybe seeing the email as she was typing it saw what she was doing had just a full, like a mental Well, I think that he's more than just a man with anger issues. I think think he's a violent man. Yeah. And this caused him to snap. Yeah. And abuse can always look different. Just because someone's not being hit every day doesn't mean they're not abused. Right. She's probably living in a constant state of fear. When's he going to be triggered again? Yeah. And I think she really needed... To have someone to make her make that next system. step. Yeah, because I think she was right there, but it wasn't enough to kind of push her, to, you know, to make the right call. Right. Uh, and stay there. You know what I mean? Well, especially because Ron backed out. Yeah. Although they didn't want to, the prosecution put the couple's eldest daughter on the stand. She testified that on the night of her mother's disappearance, she heard her parents fighting. Okay. So it wasn't just a small disagreement. It is claimed that sometime during the fight, Dale strangled her, as he had done before with other girlfriends and Stephanie herself. And then, 
because he thinks she's dead or passed out, he brings her down to the river, which would explain why she was only in her T-shirt. Okay. There were no clothes ever that were taken. He just got rid of them. Wow. However, at some point, Stephanie regained consciousness. And by the river, Bruner found a rock nearby and smashed her over the head with it, breaking her skull. Then he threw her into the river, thinking she would float down it. But she was not dead, and her body was not carried down the river, just deposited on the banks about a quarter of a mile downstream. She drowned in the freezing cold temperatures of the Blue River. Wow, that is crazy. So he strangled her. Then he hits her over the head. She's still not dead, but must have passed out again. And then when he puts her in the river, that's why she had water in her lungs and hypothermia. She was still alive. Still alive. Trying to make it. That is so sad. And you would think that would have been the most dramatic moment in court when they'd like explain what they think happened to her. But the most dramatic moment in court was when Stephanie herself testified. What? The prosecution was allowed to play the recorded conversation that Stephanie had with a judge when trying to obtain the restraining order against her husband. Okay. In the tape, Stephanie could be heard crying. She said, he has threatened my life years ago, but with a hand on my throat, screaming in my face, I will kill you if you leave. So I'm here asking for help. I'm going to end up getting a divorce because there's no way I can go back. I think this is going to go really bad. Yeah. So, you know, it's... And she's crying hysterically on this tape. Yeah. And she's saying, I I think this is going to go very bad. I need help. I'm asking for help. So imagine being a jury hearing that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to make you believe that there's more now... The, the kind of like the, the, the curtain has been kind of peeled back now and right. you can see everything that everyone's been trying to hide or him really. Um, and not just was that a powerful moment, but it was also very emotional for her family to hear, as you can imagine. Absolutely. Dale's ex-girlfriend testified about his violence towards her and it was able to be spoken about um, the instance of violence against Stephanie um through her friends and family testifying what they observed. Like they couldn't say what they were told. Just They could just say what they observed, but the message was clear to the jury what had happened. But the prosecution knew that they would have to explain why. If Stephanie was so scared and emotional, why did she go back to Dale? He was helping her leave, wasn't he? For this, they brought an expert in domestic violence. The expert told the jury that the most dangerous time for a victim of domestic violence, a victim in the many forms that it manifests itself, um, the most dangerous time is when they're trying to leave the relationship. And that's what Stephanie was trying to do. She was trying, but it seemed like she needed reassurance and the support of someone else to do it with her. And sometimes that's the push that's needed. But still, Stephanie was scared, so she came back. 
because of fear. And what she did might not have made sense because she's a victim. Victims of domestic violence don't fit into perfect boxes. And when they don't, you know, society likes to blame them. Why did you go back? Why did you do this? But that's not what victims aren't perfect. They're dealing with a lot of emotional distress, especially when three children are involved. I was going to say, and also she's worried about her, the the sake of her three kids. Right. So it makes it even more complicated because it's not just about yourself. Correct. So the defense had a difficult job. They tried to do damage control and put in the minds of the jury that the prosecution had only ever wanted to pin this on Dale Bruner. They stated that the reason why Stephanie's things had been removed from the house wasn't because Dale didn't care about his wife, but it was because he went into hysterics every time he saw a picture of Stephanie. So to help him, his family had removed reminders of her from the house, and his family testified to that. The defense also claimed that on the night of Stephanie's disappearance, something else odd happened in the city of Silverthorne, something that never happened. A bank was robbed. So, what was the coincidence that two events happened in the same night that never happened? A robbery and a murder. Slim, they said. They theorized that the robber might have been hiding in the woods and that Stephanie happened upon him on her walk. And to keep his cover, he killed her. And even if that wasn't true... They said the police didn't do their due diligence to look into the connection between the robbery and the murder. Why not? Because they had blinders on for their client, Dale Bruner. But the jury didn't agree with the defense. The coincidences spoke against Dale Bruner rather than for him. Who else could have or would have done it? Who else was there? Who else had a violent past? He was found guilty of second-degree murder and was sentenced to 112 years in prison. And he's currently appealing the conviction. Wow, that's insane. I mean, I mean, listen, I, gotta, I have to tell you, I, I think that defense is the most shaky defense I've ever heard. They really didn't have anything else. I mean, of course, another part of their defense was the fact there was no physical evidence. But they said the jury just felt it was so overwhelmingly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, though, I mean, like, the, I think the cops did a great job going back and forth, back and forth between everyone that they thought might have had some sort of skin in the game. I agree you know? with you. I don't think they had blinders no. on for Dale because they really did look into Ron and Cindy a lot. And I think they gave him a lot of chances, too. The fact that he wasn't forthcoming three separate times when he was asked very simple questions. I mean, I agree with they you. could have really just stuck it to him, um, you know, moving forward in that investigation, but they didn't. They looked into the, you know, quote unquote boyfriend, the 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 wife of Ron and everything else. Like I agree. So I don't believe that. Well, what I believe is a very important takeaway from this tragic case is the message it sends to society about domestic violence. When we think about a woman or man being a victim of domestic violence, we think about someone who is abused or manipulated all the time, every day. But that's not what it always looks like. Someone could look in on the Bruners and say, oh, it looks fine. He lost his temper twice in 11 years, but she's certainly not abused. 
but it was that third time, wasn't it? It was the third time that cost Stephanie Bruner her life. So sometimes it only takes three times. That's true. And I think that's a really important message. It took three times for a woman to lose her life and three children to lose their mother. So when one incident takes place, it needs to be taken very seriously. Yeah. Because that second time could be the murder. Here it was the third time. And someone like she might have been living in fear to not cause a reaction from him to keep her kids safe. But the catalyst was the affair, knowing there was someone else out there that could be better. The potentiality of there being another romantic interest in her life. And then the fact that he did get aggressive with the kids. Yeah. And it was only going to get worse. Yeah. I think also, it, like what you said earlier, right? To kind of not look so much into the infidelity and to focus on yes. the victim here. I think that stuck with me throughout the whole entire episode because I think as, as you know, people, you know, in society, in a case like this, at first glance, you're going to be like, well, you know, she was, she She's had, having an affair. Right, exactly. She did this, that, you know, she, you know, some people might even say, oh, she wrote it upon herself or some crazy crap like that. But right. this is the thing. In my opinion, what she did in some weird way was a cry for help, for a cry for assistance that she couldn't just go get. It has to play into the fact that she was a well-respected uh, uh, person in the community. She was involved in a lot of different things and maybe couldn't afford for her image to be shattered by the fact that she's in an abusive relationship. Right. And maybe that kind of weirdly manifested into her with Ron. I agree. So, like, I, I think that we had, you know, it's hard, uh, even for me, hard to go through the case and say, okay, like, you know, what's going on here? Right. But I think that is When my... you get the full picture, you yeah. understand the actions of a desperate yeah. woman. And I think that ultimately at the end now, where we are, I understand that that is kind of what happened here. Right. Off right. from her end and, like, what led to No, I agree. Her murder. I yeah. agree. Um, because even when I met you... The boyfriend that I had before John was horrific. He was a horrible human being. But I was off and on, off and on, off and on for two and a half years. But it wasn't until I met you that I had the strength to finally say, I'm done. Right. So it's sometimes it is that that push that you need to be like, oh, my God, I went on one date with this guy and he was better to me in three hours than someone was in three years. And you just get this like. It kind of clicks sometimes, right? And and that's the whole thing, and that's why I'm I'm I said what I said because think about that. Even if you and I did not um, end up with each other, mm-hmm. that still would have opened your eyes to the possibility that there is someone out there that can meet your emotional needs as far as every other need. You yeah. know what I mean? And and that you weren't receiving, or in in her case, wasn't receiving. So that that's is it. really important here. So, I think it's a, an important message to leave with and then also the fact that three times like that's crazy yeah it, it, sometimes it takes one time not every case of domestic violence is going to look like you see on tv shows or you know so we right. have to be more open-minded and and more cognizant of what's happening in the families around us okay that was an intense episode it was we got through it covid and all Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. You have no idea the amount of coughing editing we're going to have to take out of this episode. So many coughing episodes. 
we're so glad that we got to bring this episode to you. And before we leave, I just want to say a huge thank you to new Patreon supporters that are donating to the Patreon page and getting all of our bonus episodes. We just want to say thank you so much to Ashley, Sarah Janice, Devin Cushing, Andrea Rose, Christy Matthews, Tabitha Delgado, Jessica Manson, Elizabeth Reinhardt, Jessica Bell, Amy Bergen, Amanda Spates, Amy, Amanda Davis, Brittany Faciello, Danielle, Tina upped her pledge and so did Molly, Ashley Chitwood, Sarah Saharan, Amy Riley, Susan Baltry, Mary, Queen V, Tabitha Hogan, Michelle Rosenberg, Avery Birchfield, Roz Rhodes, Jennifer Emmons, Melissa Hudson, Susie Costello, Heather Gordon, Allie, John Freeman, Marjan Murphy, Amy Miller, Grace Dennison, Marty M., Christina Wilson, and Janae Young. Thank you guys so much for joining. We hope you're enjoying all those extra episodes. And if you want extra true crime couple episodes, another extra two a month, you can go to patreon.com slash true crime couple. All right, guys, until next time, wash your hands and do not park next to vans. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>